a listener production. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. I'll be honest, I didn't know very much about the sport of eventing before I met Jade Finlay. It's a sport I watch every four years at the Olympics, but how it actually works, what it takes to get to the Games, and just how incredibly dangerous it is, I had no idea. It's a sport that's famous for its royal links and the persistence, perseverance and dedication needed to make it to the top. You have to play the long game, competing through your 30s, 40s and even 50s before you get your shot at the Games. Jade is now part of the Australian high-performance squad for Tokyo and leading the way for women in the sport. But she's also had her own challenges, coming back from competition after becoming a mother and also a near-death experience. But Jade is almost an accidental eventer. She didn't grow up riding horses, but an incredible series of events saw equestrian and these beautiful animals become her life. I grew up in the North Shore of Sydney Mm -hmm. and um, certainly didn't have any horses near me, (laughs) none whatsoever. But my mum grew up in the country and was, um, they had a big sheep farm Mm -hmm. in central New South Wales. So they, she grew up on the farm and couldn't wait to get out of the the country basically. (laughs) So she moved out when she was 19, moved to the city and my mum is an accountant who worked on films for a long time. So very different to Mm. to what I do now. She did the opposite. As soon as I turned 19, I got out of the city and wanted to go and do horses. But look, when I was at school, I was really uh, into every sport that you Mm. can imagine, loved playing sport, played um, as as well as I could and was in top teams my whole life. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that meant I was quite coordinated. (laughs) I loved it. Absolutely loved sport. Were you into ponies or horses as a little girl? Were you that kind of kind of girl? I wasn't, but my best friend and my sister were obsessed with horses. Everyone yeah. had a little girl that they know well, that was obsessed with. I wasn't, you know, mm. like I, same. I had uh, friends at school that had horses on their walls and wanted to, you know, <laughs> be part of the, well, saddle club and stuff like yes. that. But I just wasn't like that at all. I was much more... Um, into city life and mm. and into other sports, touch football, netball, and and we went to the beach and we did all the sort of normal stuff that that city goers do. And um, mum certainly was around horses her life, her whole life, but not mm. me. So the reason I sort of started with horses was I started dating an eastern suburbs boy who <laughs> had um, polo in his family. So. I would then sit on the polo horses and I did love horses as an mm. animal always, yeah. but I wasn't that mad pony girl with yeah. ponies everywhere around my room at all. So how old were you when you first started riding then? Uh, look, I think I started going up to a farm called Millamalong, uh, which is in Blaney, mm-hmm. to do holiday farm sort of riding mm-hmm. when I would have been 12, 13, but that would only be once a year. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like we went very often. Um and then that's where I sort of started to see about polo and so rode polo horses very badly, I might add, <laughs> very badly. Um, I still ride polo horses very badly. My daughter is amazing at it, but I'm terrible mm. at it. So I was sort of that not very good rider who yeah. rode polo horses occasionally. <laughs> so you're not the classic start to, to being a professional horse rider at all. So how did it come that horses were such a big part of your life? Well, when I left school, um, I wanted to travel a little bit. Mm -hmm. So through the, I think most people our age anyway would have heard about the gap year. Mm -hmm. So having a year after school and travelling to England or Ireland and working in a school was sort of how we Mm. got placed most of the time. But I said in my things thinking, oh, wouldn't it be glamorous to be at a school that had horses? You know, that's very English (laughs) and really lovely. So I kept saying in my interviews, I'd oh, be nice if there were horses. And mm. then I got placed in a uh, riding academy instead in, in Yorkshire. And wow. I'm really weird. Yeah. I didn't take very many gap students in this placement, but yeah. this got offered to me. And they said, it's an eventing yard and it's in Yorkshire. And would you like to take that placement? And I was like, sounds good. Don't know what eventing <laughs> is. I was about to say, did you even know what eventing was at that no stage? Idea. Wow. Not a clue. So I thought, oh, you know, I can ride a little bit. And off I went to England and 
turned up at this yard, which is this beautiful yard in Yorkshire, and the two people that owned the yard, Christopher and Jane Bartle, were mm. Olympic medalists for Britain. <laughs> and I still didn't know what eventing was. And I do remember turning up at the yard, you know, it was beautiful and this glamorous, gorgeous yard. And they said, oh, can you ride? And I said, I think I can ride. <laughs> and they said, okay, well, jump on that horse and off you go. Oh, wow. And they just all cracked up at me because I was, I couldn't ride. <laughs> and I sat in the saddle, not how you're supposed to. Like I looked like a country Australian bushy rider. Wow, yep. And they just giggled and said, okay, well, we've got some work to do. But <laughs> <laughs> so I remember very clearly Christopher's reaction to, to me first sitting in a saddle, but I worked really hard there for a year. What and was his first reaction? Just laughing. He just laughed yeah. at me. Like he's like, okay, well, that's an interesting position, but, you know, maybe we could move your legs back and lift your hands So he was up lovely and, at least. Oh, he was divine. Isn't that? He's the yeah. most beautiful man yeah. and, and was so, so lovely. But, yeah, they all just cracked up because I literally was the Australian bushy that had turned up thinking I could ride. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, just give us an idea. How big of a figure is Chris? in your sport or was he at the time? Well, Chris Bartle is, um, he's actually a very, very well-known person in, mm. in eventing. He won, he actually won a bronze medal for dressage, which is another mm. equestrian sport. And then the year after I left, he also won the biggest five-star, which is our top level mm. event in in Britain called badminton, which is really, really famous event. Mm. Um, and is, you know, was a super rider, but Apart from that, he is probably one of the world's, if not the world's, best coach. So he uh, wow. has, and you turned up. Yeah, I turned up <laughs> the bushy, not oh. having a clue. But he now he trained the German team, which are their gold medal winning team for the last, uh, I think it's three Olympics. Wow! And now he's training Great Britain. Um, so he's gone back to his roots and training there. So he knows his stuff. And this there is a I am. massive sliding doors moment, isn't it? Like if you totally. had not had turned up. And my life would given not that be placement. there. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, I still pinch myself thinking my life would have been completely different. I mean, I did was planning to come back and do journalism at uni. And <laughs> Thank goodness you didn't go. <laughs> Thank well, I still did title. it and I went, no, this is not for me. But yeah, but no, it wow. was, um, that was my plan always. And I think at one stage I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer. That so would have been cool. It would have been cool, yeah. cool job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But not certainly not a horse rider. That wasn't my on my goals or my plan. Can I um, just get an idea of when you? So obviously the gap year was a huge year for you, but you did come back to Australia and you were determined to stick with eventing. Mm, I was stage. to my mum's horror. So I remember telling her in England, "Mum, I want, want a safe kind of." Job she's she's not, not worried about safe, but mum was, like I said, an accountant and she presumed I was going to be a journalist. And right, yeah. um, when I said, I rang from England and I said, mum, I want to be an eventer. She was like, what is that? <laughs> so <laughs> she had no idea. She just thought I was going and, you know, fluffing around in England, having a lovely time. That's what you do ponies. in a gaff year. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Uh, and then when, um, when she heard this, she said, oh God, okay, well, how am I going to set this up? How am I going to help her do this? Mm. So there was a girl at my school who evented mm. and mum knew her mum from canteen duty at school. <laughs> so mum got on the phone and rang her and said, Jade says she wants, wants to be an eventer. I don't know what that means. What do I do? Mm. And she was amazing and said to mum, well, if she wants to do it, she's got to go straight to the best. And yeah. I luckily had started with Chris Bartle, who was the best. Yeah. And then came back and... Um, Mum said, look, I think apparently you need to ring this guy called Stuart Tinney and see if you can go and do some work for him and see how to get into it in Australia. So I rang Stuart and said what I'd done in England and who I'd worked for. Hmm. And he said straight away, great, when can he start? Wow. So I started training with Stuart and working for him uh, out near Windsor, where yep. I live now. He lives five minutes around the corner from me now. Cool. And worked like a slave. It's not good work. You mm. know, it's very hot. It's very heavy going. I work six days a week driving out from mm. the city to work every day, but loved every minute of it. And Stuart is, again, an exceptional coach, but really tough on you. So if you make it through Stuart's school, you're going to make it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was very, very lucky in the fact that I 
just got a, such a great start with two of the best yeah, trainers in the world. Yeah, so. yeah. Did Chris transform you into an eventing competitor or just a good rider? Look, I didn't compete when I was over there because I was just so bad at the beginning. <laughs> but um, he trained me so well. And the, the beautiful thing of it, his yard had a lot of really experienced top-level event riders mm. there. So I'd watch them and, and, you know, watch how they rode and watch Christopher teach. And I was just, I couldn't get enough of the sport. And also in England, which is quite different to Australia and quite a funny story too. In England, you know, you go to the, the major competitions, even the minor competitions, mm. and there's castles are the backdrop. Mm. So you drive in in the lorry and it's just absolutely breathtaking. Everything is at a palace or a castle. And I thought, this is beautiful, glamorous, romantic sport. Yeah. Look at it. Amazing. I love it. And then, um, of course, I came back to Australia and the first event I went to, for anyone that knows anything about eventing, it was called MacArthur One Day Event which is probably one of our most lovely but basic events and the backdrop was a falling down shed. So <laughs> quite different really. Because oh, wow. yeah. your sport is um, a sport of royalty. There, There is a lot of money involved. Mm. There is a lot of royalty involved as well in yeah. equestrian, in eventing, yeah. isn't there? There is. There is. I mean, Zara Phillips is the most obvious um, major competitor. She's been to the Olympics for Great Britain a couple of times now. And um, Princess Anne, her mum, she correct. was just dressage or did she do eventing? She evented as well. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Princess Anne, yeah, was very involved all through her life. And then her daughter Zara is still very involved. I think she's mm. just announced she's having a second or third baby. But right, she yeah. um, is very, very good competitor, has had very good horses, works very hard at it. And I've been at, you know, a couple of parties where... Sarah's been dancing on the tables too. So very down-to-earth, <laughs> lovely girl. We'll wait for that season of yeah. The Crown to come out. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm not sure that will be on there. Yeah. But. <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, I think I, I just want to stop now because I, I think, can you and talk about eventing as a sport? So for um, I have been sports journalist forever, yeah. but and eventing's been one sport that I've been always so fascinated and interested in, but yet not really understood. Can you... For people out there who aren't familiar with eventing, what is eventing? So eventing is a horse sport. So basically you have one horse uh, that you work with and you have to do three phases. Mm. So the three phases, it's like a triathlon for a horse. Yep. The first stage is your dressage. Mm -hmm. So dressage is like doing a bit of ballet or a dance on the horse. Mm -hmm. You have a, a 20 by 60 arena uh, and markers around that arena and you have to execute certain movements mm. and you get judged per movement on the quality of the pace, the relaxation of the horse, the um, ability for the horse to be uh, obedient, mm. um, soft, calm, uh, which sounds all really easy, but it's incredibly difficult mm. because when you hear about the next two phases, that to have a horse at the it fitness they the need to be, it has to be the same horse. Mm. So they, they have to be extraordinarily fit to do the next two phases and then you're asking them to come into an arena with huge atmosphere and be relaxed and calm mm. and dance like a princess or a prince, you know. It's, yeah. it's not an easy thing to do. Mm. Uh, our dressage component is simple in terms of our movements compared to dressage, straight dressage horses. Mm. We have simple tasks to complete in the arena um, at each level, you do the same, uh, what we call a dressage test, the same test as every other competitor in your class. So the judges mark you per movement against your competitors mm. per movement. Mm. And then you get a total at the end of that dressage. But yeah, it's testing the horse's obedience and relaxation and an ability to move softly and freely. Mm. And the next two? So the next phase is cross country and cross country is the reason we crazy eventers do the sport because it is <laughs> so much fun and mm. it is um, a little bit terrifying and this is why it is one of the most dangerous sports in the mm. world is this phase. So we have a number of obstacles depending on the level you're riding at uh, from about 17 up to about 35 mm. depending. Obviously it gets more difficult as you go up the grades and these fences don't fall down. So mm. they're solid fences. Mm. And often, you know, to put it in perspective, at the higher levels, we will jump two Mitsubishi um, utes 
backed together and we'll jump over the tray of the, the back of the ute. So that sort of gives you an idea yeah. of the size and the dimensions of the fences. Now, the funny thing is that's actually a really simple fence. That's right. not a difficult one for us. Yes. And that's just to get your head around how how technical and how big these fences are. Yeah. Quite often I'm not very tall and I can't see over the top of the fences. So Really? Yeah, they're big. They're big. I've got photos of the, um, so our top level is called Five Star. Yep. And I've laid from one side to the other and I can't reach either side. So oh. at a full gallop, because wow. we have to go very wow. fast, we are approaching obstacles of that sort of size um, at full gallop. So it, you have to be pretty brave, as does your horse. And the third phase? And the third phase is then uh, what we call show jumping. Mm-hmm. So show jumping is where you come back into a, a small arena and we have coloured poles and it's an obstacle course basically and you have to clear all the coloured poles. Mm. Now the, the difficult part about this is that the horses just galloped like for a long time the day before. They're pretty exhausted. They've had to be brave and strong and mm. and powerful and then we come back into an arena. They haven't had a lot of rest. Uh, they may have injuries from doing like minor things mm. like you would if you had a big run yourself. Um, you know, a niggling ankle or a sore back or, gosh, my thighs are sore. Mm. Or horses feel the same after cross country. And then they have to come in and jump um, a set of obstacles that fall down. And they fall down very easily. So mm. if the horse doesn't mm. jump quite high enough or loses its line or is tired and can't jump high enough, they hit the poles out. And when the poles hit out, we incur penalties and we have an accumulative score at the end of the three phases. So we want to end on the lowest score we can possibly lo- end on. Mm. Um, and the show jumping is really quite influential, which is heartbreaking because you can go and really put your heart and soul into cross country, which is the hard part of our game, and then have two poles down mm. the next day and you've gone from first to nowhere. Yeah. So it's a really heartbreaking, very um, influential part of, of the sport. And are all three events done over three days or how long does an eventing event take? Well, you'd like to say yes, but it is very confusing. So we have what we call a one-day event, which is over two days a lot of the time. (laughs) So the reason it's over two days in Australia is just they try and get through a lot of numbers because we don't have that many competitions Mm. regularly. In Europe, they are true one-day events. So Mm. they run all three phases over one day event, uh, one day, which would mean you would only have a couple of hours between each phase, Mm. uh, which is, you know, testing on the horse. Yeah. Then we have, uh, but in Australia it can go over two. So you would do your dressage and your show jumping on one day and your cross country on the next day. Is it always like dressage, show jumping, cross country or what order? No, again, that's silly, isn't it? But we have three-day eventing is almost a different sport to one-day eventing. So you have to qualify to go three-day events by doing certain one-day events. And then if you get your qualifications, meaning that you do a dressage test that is has a score that is good enough, that you have no penalties cross-country, jumping penalties, and that you have four rails or less show jumping. Mm. So if you do that, you've achieved one qualification. And to move into the next rank, you need a minimum of three. Right. So, um, but then three-day eventing. And rank you mean from the stars going from? Yeah, so the sport starts, we have the low levels, which is between 80 centimetres, they call it 80 centimetres and, well, 60, 80 and 90 centimetres. So they're your training levels. Then we go into the star levels. So we have one star, which is the lowest Mm -hmm. of the star levels, two star, three star, four star and five star. Mm -hmm. Five star, there's only five events in the world of that level. Uh, Even the Olympic Games aren't five-star. There's five-star is a whole. There's only five in the world. One in Australia in Adelaide, two in England, one in France, one in America. Right. Um, So they're the levels. But then three-day eventing, which you have to qualify to become a three-day event qualified competitor, it actually stupidly goes over five days. Right. So when you have um, a three-day event, you do your dressage on one day, you do your cross country on the middle day and the show jumping on the third day. So that's where the real test goes because you're asking your horse to be calm and relaxed when it's fit and crazy. Mm. And then you go out and you run a big cross country course. So the horse has to be brave and fit and mm. it finishes that pretty exhausted. Mm. And then you have to back up the next day and be careful and watchful and smart and still have enough energy to clear the obstacles. And that's Always that order. Always that order at a three-day event. 
how many gaps between each phase? So we actually have that five um, days? so the three days the competition at a five star event they're consecutive. So yeah. it'll be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sure. Uh, the reason it's over five days though is we have at a three day event we have an added element which is we do call it the fourth phase because it's a fitness test. So we have vets um, and what we call the ground jury who are our major judges and they will test the horse for what we call soundness or lameness, um, meaning that we check that they're fit to compete. Mm. So there's no obvious injuries, there's no obvious um, cuts, there's no obvious reason for the horse not to be able to compete. Mm. Now at a three-day event we have to do that twice. We do that before we start the dressage, so before we even start and, and at that stage, the ground jury, if they don't deem you fit to compete, can say, no, I'm sorry, you haven't mm. passed and take you out of the sport. Second trot up is very important and um, very good for our sport, but also very nerve wracking because like I said to you after cross country, you imagine mm. you've just run, maybe you've done the, um, you know, uh, an F45 massive workout mm. or you've gone and done the Spartan run or something like that. That's what the horses are putting themselves through. And then they have to get up the next morning and not be stiff and sore mm. and tired, but prove that they are able to compete in the third phase. And we will be working really hard to make sure that the horse is fit, meaning that we'll be giving them ice baths and, um, you know, using lasers, using every technique we can possibly mm. imagine to try and make the horse feel as good as it can feel so it can compete really strongly mm. on that third day. Okay. But yeah, well, you're there for five days because you have to go set up, ride your horse, then you have your trot up on the second day, dressage on the third day, cross country on the fourth day, trot up and show jumping on the fifth day. So you need a horse who um, is a rugby player as well as a hundred metre hurdler as well as a ballerina. Exactly. Couldn't okay. have said it better myself. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I tell you, to find that, that's as hard as to find that in a human. Yeah, I was They're very say, rare. And how much of eventing and the results is the horse and how much of it is the rider? Look, the rider is obviously extremely important because the, the room for error at the top level is very small. Mm. Um, however, and that comes with just doing it. It's, uh, it's a really interesting sport in the fact that you get better as you get older. So maturity right. and time in the saddle and experience really makes you a better rider. Mm. However. Geez, that's hard to stick with it though, isn't it? Oh, then? it's hard, like, heartbreaking yeah. game, let me tell you. So you, you, the older you get, the tighter you get, the sorer you get. Uh, the more, you know, it's just it's game. an exhausting long yeah. game. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter how good you are as a rider if you don't have a horse that's up to it. You can be the Olympic champion mm. and if that horse breaks down or ends because it's it's now reached the end of its career, you can be back if you don't have other horses up and coming, back riding against the beginners in the 80 centimetre classes. So, And even if last weekend you were world champion. So it is Crazy. quite unique. You are only as good as the horse you're on. Yeah. Um, even if you are the most experienced in the world. And you train horses as well. That's your living now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, correct. So it's sort of to do the um the sport at the top level, which I've been doing now for a long time, you really have to be on your horses every day. Mm. It's not something you can do as a um a non professional at that mm. top level. Mm. I don't think there's anyone in the world that really does it as you know, that just has their one horse. Yeah. Because you get rusty and you get scared mm. and you lose, what we, we say, you lose your nerve mm. to ride those big tracks. So you need to be in the saddle every day um, riding them. And like I said, if you lose your top horse and it can happen no different to any other elite athlete, they are elite athletes, mm. they can injure themselves, you know, tripping in the paddock. Mm. It can be something as simple as that mm. or in their training doing something silly. Oh, so gosh. we have to have the next superstars up yeah. and coming through at, through the ranks. Otherwise, it can be a long time between riding at the top level, which is not good for you because, like I say, you can lose your nerve. You said it's dangerous, one of the most dangerous sports in the world. What makes it so dangerous? Obviously, that cross-country phase, mm. but have there been deaths? How many deaths mm. are we talking about? How Look, often does that happen? Have. I mean, we... Um, the sport's working really hard now to increase safety measures and to to sort of make it as safe as possible for horse and rider. But if you look back in history, there was none of that. You know, mm. there weren't safety precautions. It was just really required a lot of bravery and a lot of skill. Mm. Um, the sport has changed a lot in the last, I would say, 10 years 
in in these safety measures. Mm. We do unfortunately have deaths and uh, it was getting quite, um, getting to be a little bit of a problem. That's why the sport has changed quite a lot Mm. because what you have to remember is you're working with an animal Mm. that you can't communicate with verbally. Yeah. These obstacles don't fall down. Mm. The safety measures we're starting to put in across worldwide are increasing the ability for the fence to at least shift mm. because all of our deaths happen when a horse hits an obstacle at full speed and what happens is they what we call they do a somersault or they flip. Mm. So basically their front end stops at mm. speed. It's no different to a car hitting mm. a wall and the back end comes mm. off the ground. Yeah. So the deaths that we have are, unfortunately, these animals are 600 kilos. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine if a horse's bottom lands on a rider who's fallen in front of them, that's instant. However, we're trying very, very hard to stop that sort of thing happening. Firstly, with the education of riders, not making sure that the riders aren't riding beyond their abilities, making sure the horses aren't being pushed up beyond their, you know, ability Mm. as well. And then the course is being built a lot with a lot more safety issues. We've got now um, a lot of technical things that make the fo- the fences shift and move mm. rather than just stop the horse at full impact, Yeah, uh, which has made a huge difference. Um, if you watch a horse now hit a fence that shifts versus one that doesn't, it's remarkable the difference of the outcome. When you talk about the dangers and being brave and the fact that you have to be brave, for you, did you was did that come naturally, or were you always um, a brave person? Something you have had to teach yourself, and have you had moments where you've had the yips, where you've lost your confidence? Yes, to all of those, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I am. I'm certainly a brave person. I'm always. I'm a get in and do stuff person. Mm. You know, I'm, I would never stand back if something needs to happen. And when I started the sport, I was really brave because I didn't know what could happen and I was young and stupid. So it was very, very brave, um, which you need mm. because if you don't have that sort of gutsy attitude, you don't ride well. And the horse relies on that confidence mm. too, like, yes, you can do it. Come on, we're, we're going to do it. But um, there's absolutely been times uh, in my career where I have lost my nerve a little bit or you have a bad experience on course and then you mm. think, oh, gosh, that didn't feel good and then you get worried next time yeah, you go out. Yeah. Um, certainly when I started riding at the top level, and I say this to a lot of um, of young riders that I mentor, you know, they say, I'm so nervous. And I'm like, that's normal. If you don't feel those nerves, mm. you're not ready to go and ride. Mm. The difference is we don't want them to be scared. We want them to be nervous. Right. But I remember standing um, one of my first ever top level three-day events. So this is, I was quite young. I had this amazing horse. I didn't have a lot of control on him because he was better than I was. And um, it was pouring with rain, Mm. pouring with rain. And we didn't go cross country until 3 p.m. on the Saturday. Now that sucks because you're Mm. sitting there nervous Mm. all day. You've walked the course. You know how you're going to try and ride the course. You know how big it is. You know how scary it is. And it's pouring with rain Mm. just to make everything harder. So the ground is now a little bit soft, a bit shifty. You can't see very well because it's pouring with rain and you're just waiting. And I remember standing in front of um, the mirror, getting ready, getting dressed to go cross country and just looking at myself going, why am I doing this? And then I said, don't be ridiculous. You you are choosing to do this. Mm. You don't have to do this. You want to do this. Mm. And you sort of have to make that decision because if you – if you sort of are looking for excuses not to do it or if you're really worried about it, Mm. you really shouldn't be doing it. Mm. So as soon as I started to decide to tell myself, you want to do this, Mm. and if you don't, just don't do it, Mm. suddenly I was like, oh, yeah, of course I want to do this. (laughs) Out you go. But you need to have that attitude because if you you don't, it does become dangerous. That, Like I say, that that second guessing or backward thought Mm. is not good. Um, And then, of course, when I had my daughter... So I had a, a top-level horse and I fell pregnant and it was, Piper, if you're listening, a lovely surprise. <laughs> so it, um, it was, yeah, a real surprise that I fell pregnant at the time because mm. I did have How a top-level. I was 29. Yep. Um, so perfectly appropriate age. Yeah. But I um, 
had a really top level horse. And of course, anyone who's an athlete understands if you start to become the top, you know, at a peak mm. level, it's hard to then think I have to stop. And and um, our sport's important that you stop because mm. obviously if you fall and you're pregnant, yeah, that can be a real problem. So I did have a beautiful daughter who is now Yay. the pride of my life and I love her. Um, but at the time I had to um, pass my horse on to a friend who mm. then had a major, amazing success with the, the mayor, travelled the world, went to the Olympic Games and ended her career uh, winning um, Arken, which is the mm-hmm. European Championships and won a gold medal there. So incredible horse, incredible journey to go on, but I didn't get to do that. Mm. And then after I had Piper, I had three younger horses ready to go back up to that top level, like for me to push yeah. them up to the top level. And I was more nervous. So to be able to be focused enough to then go out and ride cross country at the top level and switch off and not think, what if something happens? And now I've got my daughter to Mm. think about and what's going on was really, um, really difficult for me to get Mm. back into that top level mentality. And interestingly, if you look through the history, and this is no discredit to any females that haven't gone back to top level after having children, but at a up until this year, there were two of us that had done it in Australia. And then now we've got a, a, a um, couple of girls, actually you know one of them, Rachel Lee yeah. and then Katie Taliana as well and Emma Mason who were riding at the top level mm. and have all now got babies and are now back out there doing it, which is amazing. Mm. Um, so fingers crossed they all stay wanting That's to do good. it at the top level. But yeah. it does. Um, it certainly does change the way you think about mentally. Mm, so you have to definitely. challenge yourself to think differently now. You do. And how do you do that? What do you do? Do you switch off? You have to. How? You have to you have to train yourself to be able to do that. This is nowhere near, but I know I was always adrenaline junkie completely um when I was young and bungee jumping and everything and mm. wanted to go skydive, all of that, did all of that, loved that, never thought twice. But then I became a mum. I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. So I, somewhat, totally it's not understand. the same, but I actually kind of it's, can relate to what you say. It's like, I'm like, I cannot jump out of a plane anymore. Yeah. Like, I know. And I think every woman who has a child would totally understand that feeling, you yeah. know, that you are different when you have your children Yeah. Um, because you are, you know, there's something greater than yourself. So mm. it's it's really... It is something that you have to train your brain to do and more importantly, allow yourself to do mm. because that's the hardest part. I mean, you can train your brain a lot easier than you can let yourself. It, it, it's almost letting yourself be selfish for that time. Yeah. Um, but the only way I can think about it is that it is, it is incredibly selfish in that way. However, if I'm not that selfish, I'm being selfish because I'm not riding yeah. the best of my abilities, yeah. therefore making myself as safe as I can be for my daughter. So great way to think about it. Um, have you had any, talking about the dangers, what's been your closest call? Yeah, I did have one really nasty fall. I've been very lucky other than that one. Um, mm. I've had some really good horses that do help me out. And this horse that I had the fall off, he was also a very good horse, beautiful horse. I loved him. Um, but unfortunately, I had an accident at just a small, lower level, sort of medium level event um, where I was galloping at speed at a fixed ob- obstacle cross country and uh, the horse made a mistake. So what happens when they make a mistake? Obviously, they've got four legs and when they take off, their front legs have to come up fairly, fairly quickly mm. so as not to hit the front of the jump. Mm. And we call it leaving a leg. So the horse picked one up very well and not the other one up mm. very well. So caught the edge of the jump and we flipped. Wow. Um, Now, I was extremely lucky because where I landed, I was just out of the way of his body as he hit the ground with impact. Yeah. Um, But he rolled over the top of me as he got up. And I've had many, many falls. That's just part of the sport. Yeah. But this one I knew, I laid there and I knew I was in trouble. It wasn't Mm. good. Um, And I had amazing help. We have a a wonderful doctor who is at most of the events Mm -hmm. Um, Vince Roach, who came instantly to my side. Mm. He knew I was in trouble too, so they called a helicopter in straight away. And I basically I had um, quite bad internal bleeding. I'd ruptured my spleen and my liver. I had six broken ribs um, and was very uncomfortable. Yeah. So they were worried that on site I was bleeding badly internally. Yeah. And they thought they were going to have to tube me on site, Mm. which – 
again, it's not hugely hygienic. You're lying in a horse, mm. in a dusty paddock. Yeah, dirt all over you. Dirt everywhere, sweat everywhere, horse hair, stuff yeah, everywhere, yeah. hair everywhere. Um, so that was fairly terrifying. But Vince was incredible, and then um, I was attended to right there on the scene, right next to the jump. I fell at. And the helicopter landed and then they took me straight to Liverpool um, mm-hmm. ICU and I spent six days in ICU wow. uh, being really closely monitored. I was extremely lucky that the mm. bleeding slowed down so they didn't have to go in and operate. Wow. But I was very uncomfortable and, and wasn't good. So that was six days of very scary time. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure most top-level riders have got a story quite similar, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. That's sort of the nature Absolutely. of the sport. But I was really lucky and recovered really well. But it was, yeah, it was really scary. How long, not to be cliched or to use a pun, how long before you got back on the horse? And was that something that you were afraid of or you were like, I've got to get back on the I hate yeah. saying that, but like literally got to get no, back on the horse. No, literally I had to yeah. get back on the horse. And it, it really was like that. So I had, I think it was um, eight weeks of doing nothing mm. just to make sure everything was sort of healing. And then, again, this is me playing, you have to play sort of games with yourself mm. to, to make sure that you're brave enough to do it. And so the the first event that I went out to do, I had my top horse who was at the top level. Mm. And I said to myself, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to just go out and ride a low-level event and see how I feel? Mm. Or do I just ride at the top level because if I can't do it, I'll pull up and that's it, I'm done. Mm. And I thought, and everyone, everyone would say to me, oh, my God, just go and ride around a low-level course, get your confidence back, you know, mm. make sure you feel okay. Of course, me being stupid said, no, <laughs> I'm going to get on my horse and literally <laughs> get back on the, the horse. Truck. Correct. <laughs> and I got straight back and um, rode at the top level at my first competition. Wow. And um, was very conscious, obviously, of how I felt and how I was feeling during mm. riding. And it felt great. So wow. I kicked on and got around and that got me over that fear the quickest way I could possibly imagine yeah. because it was like do it or don't do it. Yeah, you know, yeah. again, you, you you can't baby yourself back into this sport. Yeah. It's not that type of sport. Yeah. And I never looked back again. So Wow. I want to um, move on to uh, just pick up on what you said before about um, – you talked about the horse that you'd been producing, that you got to the top level, Leilani. Mm-hmm. You had her from when, like an early age. In, yeah, an early age. I had um, her and I literally got given her um, by a lady who had bought her from a good friend, Carrie French, and uh, the the lady said to me, I can't ride this horse, big horse, 17 hands. So this is a really big horse, like mm. as Taller than my head. We're mm-hmm. talking 167 centimetres mm-hmm. at the wither. So a lot, which is their back. I was about to say it was the wither, yeah. Their back, okay, yeah. yeah. So big horse. And she said, I, I'm really having trouble riding her. It was just a dressage horse at that time. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? So that was the first real horse that I took on what we call schooling. So mm. I take it and someone pays me to educate their horse. Yeah. And um, I was riding this horse and she was horrible, horrible. Like just this big, orange, horrible, heavy thing that I couldn't really ride very well. And I said to the lady one day, would you mind if I jumped her? Because I just think she needs to do something Mm. different. She hates this. So I did and I was like, oh, jumps pretty well. Yeah, right. Um, So then I fell in love with the horse. She was a really slow developing horse and difficult to train, very difficult to train. But there was something about her I loved. Mm. And I remember falling off her many times and people saying, why are you bothering with that horse? Mm. And I said, I, I love her. There is something about this mm. horse. I just know she's going to be a really good horse. So she was, uh, what was she, eight at the time, uh, which is, that's not what we, a young training horse is about a four-year-old. Sure. So she was an eight-year-old and hadn't done very much. Yeah. Uh, so I started training her, started competing her, loved her. And then eventually bought her from the lady that owned mm. her because I loved her so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I trained her up to the top level, again, with a lot of problems along the way, but I, I knew she was a really good horse. Mm. And then I was having trouble with my show jumping because she was difficult to mm. ride show jumping. And so a friend was helping me with her, Chris Burton, who is now based in the UK and 
think he's been number one in the world. Like mm. he's exceptional. And he, I said, well, it makes sense that you then ride her while I'm pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. And he did, and he did a really great job. And mm. she was sort of at the the time just ready to go on and start winning stuff. Mm. You know, she was really at the peak of where she was about to blossom. Mm. So he did an exceptional job. He is an incredible rider and went to all the major championships around the world. This horse has a passport bigger than I do. Like she's <laughs> travelled the world. And she was really successful. She went to two Olympic Games. She, like I said, went to the world championships and won a gold medal and was at all the five-star events all around the world. So in Great Britain, in France, in Australia, in America, mm. she competed all around the world. So very cool horse. Is it like you're a proud mom? I was a very proud, very jealous mom. But yes. Because let's talk about that. Because she, she went to the London Olympics. Mm. You obviously pregnant and you handed yep. her over to Chris and then Chris loved her so much. She took her to the Olympics. Yeah. You went to the London Olympics as well as I the did. supervising mom. I did. Um, Correct. But is that a bittersweet oh, experience? Totally. Yeah. yeah. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I mean, because being uh, her owner, I was treated like mm. royalty. I mean, we sat... If anyone remembers the equestrian uh, arena at the Olympics, it was so beautiful. And mm. there was this big, beautiful royal building at, right at the end of the arena. So that's where owners and riders could go and have breakfast or tea, mm. as you know, mm. you like. Of course. <laughs> and um, it was pretty special. I mean, we sat in there next to Princess Anne watching my horse compete at the mm. London Olympics, like literally next to Princess Anne, not metaphorically. Right. Did you talk? Yeah. She wow. loves horses. Oh, this is your horse. Oh, lovely. Oh, isn't that Aww. lovely? So Just finished season four of The Crown. I so love I'm The like, Crown. Love The Crown. <laughs> so I love The Crown. Princess Anne's like one of my faves. Yeah, she's but, fabulous. Yeah. So, yeah, so literally sitting next to her. Wow. Um, because at that Olympics, her daughter Zara was competing as well. Yeah. Uh, and so we were there as like proud parents <laughs> sitting there. And she's um, a proud parent sitting there. She yeah, was, yeah. yeah. And that's sort of how the horse world is, actually. You know, we were literally just two proud horse owners watching our horses. Wow. It wasn't Princess Anne and Jade Who sitting wow. in this place. It was lovely. Um, Did you have to curtsy or anything? No, she doesn't want all that. She's watching her horse. That's all she's oh. doing. You don't do that sort of stuff. See, from the crown, I would think she would probably want that. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Obviously but I know her and I'm telling you, she doesn't need it. <laughs> it. Um, so that was, it was amazing. The most amazing experience. And the horse was so good there and she really performed well. She was in bronze medal contention up, right up until the last second and then just dropped a rail and ended up ninth in the world, which is still, you amazing. know, incredible. Top-placed yeah. Australian horse and, and really amazing. Very, mm. very proud moment. Um, but, again, bittersweet. I mean, I'm under no illusions. I wouldn't have done that. Mm. Chris is incredible. And, you know, his experience versus my experience at that time, he did things with that horse I could never have done. Mm. But... So it was divine that she got to show how special she was as yeah, a horse with yeah. him. Um, but, yeah, definitely bittersweet because you you think, I did all that work and now you're yeah. getting to play with the toy at the end of the day. Yep. So yep. Um, it was, yeah, it was hard to take. You program that toy. Yeah. yeah it was. It was. It, that was my toy. I made that. And yeah. now, here you go. Go and show everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really tough. Did a lot yeah. of fire in your belly. It actually did. Yeah, mm. it did. I was so determined then to um, come out and do it myself. Mm. And interestingly, I've had other good horses along the time and um, there was a moment where Stuart Tinney, my coach now who's also an Olympian, Chris moved to the UK and Stuart is still five minutes down the road. And did Leilani go with him? Leilani went. Uh, she's now back in my paddock at home, which Yay. is gorgeous. Cool, yeah. nice. And she has a baby, so hopefully that baby will. She's now six, so not so baby, but she hopefully she'll be a really good horse great, for me. Great, but yeah, the old girl still lives in the paddock and That's beautiful. demands food every morning and brushes every day. So she's a two-time Olympian. She's I know she it. deserves it. That's what I say to anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to the others as well? Yeah, That'd be great. Right. <laughs> Let them know there's perks involved. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but I have this great horse now who um, is called Heidi or Oaks Cordelia and she's mm. a, such a special horse, very similar size and sort of shape and um, finds the same things easy and the same things difficult. I must have a type. <laughs> and she um, she's really special. But I was struggling with her a, a couple of years ago uh, 
we have a water jump as one of our obstacles in cross country mm. and I was having a lot of trouble getting her to jump in. And it was really heartbreaking and Stuart was helping me a lot and I said, maybe you should just ride her, Stuart. And bless Stuart's heart, he said, no, it's your turn. This is your horse. This is your turn. Mm. And I get quite emotional. And mm. he said, you know, this is, you've got to fix this and you've got to compete her because this is your chance to yeah. do what you didn't do on Leilani. So, yeah. yeah, which was, and I'm still riding her and she's still divine and she is on the long list for Tokyo. Mm. But um, long list to short list is a long way, but it is still pretty special. Mm. Um, she represented, well, together we represented Australia for the first time last year mm. in New Zealand and hopefully we'll do the same uh, June next year and then head, uh, we're still working for towards Paris in 2024. Because uh, are you you're you're named on that list of riders in contention for Olympic selection for Correct. Tokyo still still for Tokyo, but like I say, there there is a short list, which is a group I think of eight, maybe ten riders, um, based all around the world, but mm. Australian um, documented riders, and they are on what they call the the Olympic Ready Squad, mm. so they're medal ready squad, yep. so they are the the first lot to go. Um, but then I'm on the second list below that. Mm. So the thing with horses is that things can go wrong. Yeah, anything can so happen. So you injuries happen and that the the top team that the selectors will originally choose changes without question every single championships mm. because unfortunately horses under that kind of stress and under that kind of intense training to go to the Olympics, mm. they do break down. Yeah. And it can be something very simple that requires them to have three weeks off and you're yeah. out of the Olympics. Yeah. So the order does change a lot. Yeah. So I'm certainly not, um, you know, packing my bags, but yeah. I am thrilled to be named on the long list yeah. um, on my horse and it would be, you know, a dream come true. But if if she doesn't do it, she's given me the most incredible mm. ride along the way and experience and and made me a really confident top-level rider now. So she's she's my hard horse. I'll never... How, you know, thank her for everything. So, so your sport as well is um, one of only two sports where men and women compete equally. I said two. What's the other one? Sailing, of course. Mm, of in course. the fifteen foot skiffs, I think. Yeah. Something, pardon me if that's wrong. In sailing, yes. Um, is there an advantage to either gender? And I know someone's going to say no, but is there? There is, but for both genders. So the advantage of being male uh, and being bigger and stronger mm-hmm. is that obviously you can use your strength to help in your training mm-hmm. and to help manoeuvre this 600-kilo animal around mm. what you need it to do. So strength certainly is a benefit. However, with strength comes weight. Mm. Weight is not a benefit because mm. the lighter you are on a horse, obviously the less weight the horse is carrying, mm. the easier it finds it to do its job. Sure. So a female is more advantaged in that because, you know, we weigh Mm. 60 versus 90. Mm. That's a huge difference in weight. So when you're galloping a horse across country for 12 minutes nonstop and asking them to jump obstacles, obviously the lighter you are, Mm. the easier it is for the horse to do that. Sure. So there are equal benefits for both genders. So you really are, we train horses very differently, males and females, because males do naturally use their strength mm. more than a female. Uh, and a female has to work out how to technically ride a horse better mm. than a male. Mm. Um, and again, I think that's true how men and women do think differently. I don't care what anyone says, we do. Mm. And I think that um, also influences the way that you train your horse, whether you, how you think about the training. And that also encourages riders to, you know, males and females will often pick a different type of horse that Mm. suits them Mm. because of those reasons. We are very equal though, Mm. very equal. There is no, you would never say that the males are stronger in the sport than females or females stronger than males. Mm. You are genuinely extraordinarily equal. Or has an advantage because of their their gender. gender, So does the Australian team that we have to take over to say um, Tokyo, can it be an all-male team? There's no requirement for any females. No, because we are completely equal. Mm. It is just the best athletes and best horses that are picked. So we have, in the past, the last um, games, we had an all-male team. Mm -hmm. They did really well. Um, They won a bronze medal there, so 
good for the boys. Mm. But we have, I don't know actually that we've ever had an all-female team. Mm. Um, have we, there been all-female teams? I think Great Britain other country? had uh, yeah. an all-female team at the last yeah. Olympics, um, which was wonderful. And we could potentially for Tokyo have an all-female team because we'd have some really strong females mm. and there are more females on that top list than there are boys. So, wow, okay. Um, but that changes depending on yeah. what you're sitting on and, and how your form is at the time. Because at that elite level and that international level, you do see more men um, compete than but what I you do with females. I think that's more to do with having children than it is to do with the fact that males are stronger at the sport than you think? females. Absolutely. Because the females do drop out at a much greater rate mm. after they've had children and men how don't How could change. that be better supported so they don't drop out? That's a really good question. And I think um, in Europe, they there are more females than in, in Australia that are riding back at the top level after children and to get back on fairly quickly. I think we're getting better at it. I mean, obviously mm. now in Australia, I think the girls that have got babies now have a lot better support. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, I think the AIS is now treating us very much more like um or trying to get us, actually, I shouldn't mm. say that. They're trying to get us to treat ourselves much more like an elite athlete. We treat mm. our horses like an elite athlete. Mm. They go without nothing, but they're trying to get us to change our mentality mm. and think of ourselves more of an elite athlete, therefore giving you the tools mm. to have allow yourself to have that support when you've had a child and get back to riding. Yeah. Um, meaning that it's okay to have, you know, a nanny or it's okay to have um, – ground support with Mm. the child, with the horses. It's okay to, you know, have to take five people to support you to go and get on your horse. Whereas um, I don't think we felt that way before. Yeah, yeah. So it it is. Normalising it, like we were saying before, normalising it. The more you see other people doing it, the more normal it becomes. Correct. The less you feel that it is something that could be called selfish, which it isn't. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. Well, we finish off every podcast by asking, what message would you give your 10-year-old self? And this is going to be interesting because she has no idea what's ahead of her in her life, does she? (laughs) Not a clue. Um, I would probably tell my 10-year-old self to keep my heels down, (laughs) which is what we say, don't fall off, keep your heels down, (laughs) to keep my eyes up, to be smarter in my choices with, certain things, maybe men, you know, Uh, and, um, but just be yourself and stay strong because I was always that confident, um, gung-ho kid. Mm. So I would just tell myself to, um, yeah, and, and grab everything and enjoy every minute of it and don't be scared because this life's too short to be scared. Just run in front of that truck. Get back on the horse, run in front of the truck. (laughs) Exactly. Jade, I have really enjoyed this chat. I found it very fascinating um, and interesting. Um, congratulations on everything that you've achieved and I hope you can continue to to blaze that trail that you that you have in eventing and um, and make more changes. But thank you so much for sharing your story with Honor Game. Thank you so much for having me. You've actually made me think about a lot of things too. So thank <laughs> you very much. I really enjoyed it. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Darcy Thompson, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.